The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 38. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And folks, there is more all the time. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Light and Shadows. Joining me today on the panel, as always, are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father How's Corey. Going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, but first, before we start off, I want to remind you uh, to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, leave us comments on our website or on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, if you have not yet done so, and I don't know why you would not have yet, but if you have not done so, please subscribe. You can do so in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app like the iTunes podcast app or Overcast or Pocket Cast. There's a bunch of them. Uh, you could subscribe on YouTube, where you should hit the bell if you want to get notifications when we post a new episode. And please, above all, share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community of Star Trek fans. Uh, we're growing all the time, but we want to grow to reach all kinds of folks. And because the larger the community, the the more fun it is, frankly. I mean, it's fun when you get a lot of people together talking about something you love, and we all love Star Trek. So let's do that. Uh, I, before we do anything else, too, I, I do have a, a request. I have a, a an, an ask. SQPN, that's the network that Secrets of Star Trek is part of. We need volunteers. We're a small nonprofit staffed primarily by volunteers. Father Corey is a volunteer. Mm -hmm. Jimmy's a volunteer. In fact, I'll tell you, folks, they actually donate money to their nonprofit uh, just you know right off the bat because they believe in it. Not only are they on the show, but they donate to it. And that's 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 dedication. And I just say that they didn't they didn't know I was going to say that. But I just say that because I want you to know that people who do this, we love it uh, and, and we're, we're doing it out of love. Uh, but we need volunteers. We're growing so fast. We're adding new shows. Secrets of Star Trek is a new show. And we need more help to keep growing. And what we need are people, if, if you know audio editing, if you know how to use a website like WordPress, um, even just posting stuff, you don't have to like maintain it or build a website. You just need how to post stuff on WordPress. Uh, we need people who can um, help us post on social media. We're looking for people to help us do some organization behind the scenes, like a, like a producer almost, like just to, just to keep things organized, remind people of shows coming up. If if you have the ability to help for maybe an hour a week, maybe two, uh, whatever time you have, we, we, we're looking for help just to keep it going so we can continue to grow and bring you great new shows like Secrets of Star Trek. So if you can, if you're interested and we'll have a conversation, this is not a commitment, send an email to help at sqpn.com. Uh, we really greatly appreciate it. All right. All the preliminaries aside. Let's talk about this latest episode of the Secrets of Star Trek, uh, this latest episode of uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, which is so it was in space. Yes, it I took think. place in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and on Vulcan. So um, mm -hmm. we start off with another voiceover. This has become the thing. And this is a voiceover this time from Michael Burnham. She's making a personal log. Um, and she says, um, 
You know what I want is an over because all these monologue opening monologues are overly dramatic. Yes, and, and or highly dramatic. I want the I want the emotional Tilly monologue. You know, the super <laughs> su- super serious Tilly monologue. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of surprised they haven't done that yet. That'll be fun actually when we get a Tilly a Tilly uh, opening monologue. Um, <clears throat> we have not yet had a, had a Captain Pike one, which is interesting. So that's I thought that was a that's kind of an interesting. That, that is kind of an interesting you know, choice on their part. I mean, at least bringing back the kind of the opening monologue is flashing back to the other series, but we haven't had Captain's an actual log Captain's log. Yeah, yeah, we have not yet had that. Although when Saru was in command, did they do that last season? They might have. I don't know. We've I, had personal logs, I think, too. Right. Yep. Anyway. So Burnham starts off by saying, you know, my mother taught me the greatest mysteries come in threes, birth, life, death, the past, the present, the future. And I'm thinking, in other words, life is its own greatest mystery. <laughs> Life's greatest, yeah. greatest mysteries are birth, life and death. That's like pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, of course, as, as Christians, we'd say there's one more they missed. One very, 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 very big one. The bigger, the, the biggest Trinity. mystery. Yes. That, that come in yeah. threes. Well, and so, well, this is a, that's sort of a bit of a, of a, a God shaped echo in, in this episode. I have to say, oh, is yes. that idea of the mysteries that come in threes and the, and the Trinity, we talk about God as being a mystery and that the mystery is the Trinity. So that's an interesting idea. Um, and so, and then she says the past, the present, the future, and that's where the red angel is from. And so she says, we now have confirmation that the red angel is from the future. Yeah. And I, and that was my first problem with this episode because so we, we got evidence last episode that the angel is technological because it's like a, it's like a super suit. Someone Mm -hmm. is in the super suit as father Corey pointed out, it has a feminine silhouette. So presumably it's a woman in the super suit. I immediately, once I went back and looked at the image and saw that was correct, I, I sent Dom a message and said, okay, chance it's Michael Burnham in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, may, I don't know that it will be, but maybe. But now we're being Probably. told it's definitely from the future. And I'm going, wait a minute, didn't you just say there are these three things? So that means there are two other locations in time besides the future it could come from <laughs> right if it's a time traveler it could come from the past or it could come from the present it could just be alien tech right mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean they talked about seeing the tachyon emissions which would be um right. you know then that, they needed they needed to say and they led to the future well that's the right. thing is, is you know a time traveler like we you and i have been talking about jimmy uh, recently on the jimmy Akin's mysterious world a time traveler could be coming from the past or the future and mm-hmm. just because they show evidence of high tech doesn't necessarily mean they're from the future. There are bare aliens with unbelievable technology. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And and even if it came from the future immediately before then, it might have come from the past. It might have just right. been stopping off in the future. It right. Was, I mean, that's what the TARDIS does. So but, they need to think a little more four dimensionally. Yeah. But given that they have decided that this is a, you know, that, that, that they've decided to tell us it's confirmed the future, we're just going to, you know, have to get, you know, assume that this, this person comes from the future. Yeah. And that's that, uh, because they said so. So, um, unless they pull the rug out from under that later in the season. Yes. That would be, yeah. That would be kind of awkward. But, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. (laughs) It it Uh, wouldn't be the first time they've done that. Yeah. It'd be a little too, like, come on, you know, you, um, the the unreliable narration is is a you have to use it sparingly in a in a story, or you start to get people not trusting you your your audience. Uh, so Burnham thinks that if Section Thirty One is looking for Spock, 
then Discovery needs to find him first. She doesn't trust Section 31, and she she thinks that it has to be me. So she's taking a shuttle to Vulcan while Discovery sticks around Kaminar, examining the residual traces of the Red, Red Angel signal. Yeah, and just mm-hmm. totally leaving the Kelpians and the Ba'ul to sort out their multi-generational homicidal feud among themselves. <laughs> right, exactly. right. And, and we'll get to the problems with that, leaving them to their own... Uh, Toward the end of the episode, uh, there is a there is something Discovery does that seems to be problematic, but we'll we'll talk about that. Um, hmm. So uh, there are uh, there the the Discovery, you know, Burnham's off going heading to Vulcan. So Discovery's there and scanning this anomaly, um, which apparently is now there, which I didn't see last episode, but is there now? Yeah, um, suddenly they can now see the the remnants of this red signal. Yeah, yeah, apparently, um, and it's it's. Interf- the, so it's the extreme tachyon interface is preventing scans. So they're so they've come up with some um, some mumbo jumbo, some techno babble that explains that they can't scan it, um, and yeah. so they try to get closer and get caught in a time rift. Yeah, you know, you know, um, and I don't know that it's this way presently, but it wouldn't at all surprise me. But if you read like accounts of the of the nineteen eighties and nineties Star Wars writers writers rooms. They would apparently write things in the script as like placeholders where they right. would say, we need to tech the tech. Yes. And it was just a placeholder <laughs> for insert techno babble later. Right. Um, and and this some of this has that same kind of feel. And apparently um, uh, Michael Akuda, who was responsible for a lot of the uh, on set visual effects, like the the, the uh, displays and that sort of stuff. He was the guy back in the uh, next generation Deep Space Nine days. For coming mm-hmm. up with with some of that, um, so by the way, speaking of funny monosyllabic words, uh, yeah. we have "freak" here as a as another replacement word, and also <laughs> "frick." Um, yes. and they use that to tell us that Tilly has been given instructions not to curse during uh, business hours, and <laughs> and I kind of like that. I think that's a signal that they um, that. You know, they got criticism last season for introducing cussing on Star Trek for the real world cussing on Star right. Trek for the first time. And so that may be another signal they're sending the fans that, OK, we've heard you. We're backing off on this. Yeah, and that I, would be nice. It was, I, I was a little disappointed, though, if they're going to give us freak and frick. And this is a sci fi show. They didn't give us frack. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they, they missed an opportunity to, to kind of tip the hat to Battlestar Galactica there. But <laughs> Yeah. Um. Yeah, the, the, I thought that was a little odd. Like to 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 make a big deal out of uh, Tilly saying free, uh, freaking, but uh, yeah. I, and now that you say that, I get I get why they why they're doing that. Then there's a long history of such substitutions on television. I remember I, it, when I was in college, I watched the soap opera All My Children, and they would use sweat <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, as a substitute. And and Larry Niven, you read his older stuff, um, and he'll either have people saying futs. Or he will have yeah. them uh, saying, and then he said something that your editor would delete. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the best for that on TV right now is the Good Place, which uh, because oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. because they're in heaven, they can't say they have to say fork and um, I have to think of what the words are without sure, saying shirt. Word. Shirt, well, is yeah, another shirt, one. yes, um, and that sort of thing. So yes, <laughs> which Propanity is a great filter. Yeah, it's it's a great. Um, uh, uh what's the word there's a there's a there's a word for when they or for when they you replace the words uh like well that. minced oaths is one way of referring to oh, those yeah. things yeah you could say that like, yeah yeah 
so uh pike is um he he gets annoyed at tyler tyler is um and tyler is frankly pretty annoying well and, they've and, really made him unlikable this season right. I mean, just really unlikable tyler just immediately challenges pike again he's mad that that burnham is gone off the ship and he wasn't informed which pike rightly tells him she's taking personal leave it's none of your business of course yeah exactly it technically she's going to search for spock so that really kind of is his business but yeah yeah also i mean and there's also a personal dimension since he and she were a thing last season but then it's on her to tell him if she's leaving it's not on it's not on pike to by the way your ex-girlfriend has left the ship right and then then tyler does thing like uh he says to, to to pike if it has to do with spock you owe me an explanation and then tosses his section 31 badge at the captain if i were the captain i would read like don't you toss oh, your yeah. thing at me yeah. like it's like it's getting a, well, this, this whole like showing the badge is getting a little much by the way it's, well it, and it, it, it's it was nice though that that pike immediately responds cheer out cheer trumps yeah oh, the right badge. the badge cheer yeah. Trumps yeah. The bat. yeah if now since they've established that these are communicators now the section 31 com badges right it's, it's the equivalent of flipping someone the brand new hot iphone and so i would just <laughs> say hey thanks and stick it in my pocket <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> uh so um pike they can't get the ship any closer saru's got this probe that he wants to shoot in so pike says i'll fly the sh- uh, shuttlecraft in i'm the best pilot on board i was originally a test pilot when when i uh, entered starfleet which is kind of cool and uh uh, Tyler says, oh, I'll go with you. <laughs> and Pike calls him a bad penny like he is a bad penny that keeps turning up. And yep. uh, he refers By the to way, there's there's nice temporal distortions on the bridge before that. They handle oh, yeah. them in a way we haven't quite seen before on Star Trek. And it's nice to see little time echoes and it's mm-hmm. a little disorienting, but you can figure out what's going on. Right. We saw that something like that in Next Gen. So it's it's mm-hmm. actually kind of nice to see them continuing, like keeping uh, continuity in that sort of special effect. Um, at one point, Pike refers to Valk inside of Tyler as his shadow, which is an interest yeah. was interesting. He doesn't trust him and 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 won't tell him anything about Burnham's personal mission because of that. And I and I yeah. think that's interesting. And then, of course, Tyler throws it back at him like, "You just are, you know, you just don't know that the war is over. You're mad that you missed the war." Yeah, See, and th- there's some interesting psychology that. Uh, Tyler does on Pike in this and immediately when they start when Pike says I'm the most qualified shuttle guy I'm going on this mission it's like okay this is this was okay for James D. Kirk back in the 60s but it is (laughs) totally not credible right to have the commanding officer doing this and 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 initially I was annoyed that nobody was calling him on this Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then they do provide us an explanation for why he is taking such a risk when he really shouldn't. And Tyler and, does call him on it. And Tyler yeah. is correct. And, and it, by the end of the episode, um, Pike admits, yeah, that's, you're right. That's why I took this risk and some others too. Right. And mm-hmm. cause I, I did feel guilty about sitting out the war and I've been trying to prove myself as a result. And why he would admit that to Tyler, I have no clue, but it's nice that they acknowledged the implausibility of this. And it also serves as a, you know, Enkidu and Gilgamesh fight and become friends, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra <laughs> moment. Right. Uh, so I think by the end of the episode, Tyler and Pike have bonded somewhat. You know, there's See, an it. I- oh, go ahead. 
I see. I, admit, I disagree with Jimmy, though, that I found it uh-huh. annoying. And the second time I watched it, I found it even more annoying that Tyler <laughs> was saying they're playing the, the amateur psych, psychologist. Uh, it's, you know, if Pike wasn't such a nice guy, I think Tyler would have found himself beamed back onto Discovery before they got anywhere close to the right time, the time vortex. You know, it's just like. Shut up, sit there and do your job. Although, although a part of that might be that Pike knows that he's right, <laughs> that he, which he eventually says, you know, something yeah. to take, keep in mind about Pike is where is Pike in his life at this point in his career? Um, We're and a, a, after right. Talos four, but before the original series starts. Right. So we're we're after the events of the cage, which is important. We'll come to that at the end of this episode. Yes. Uh, after the events of the cage, before whatever accident lands him in that chair uh, that we mm-hmm. have in the semen in the menagerie, and he's a legend. Pike is a legend. I mean, there's that that famous uh, battle. Remember at where he single handedly fought off a horde of uh, Rigelians or something you know, to save a bunch of people. Uh, remember that scene from the cage yeah. where they made him giant, relive it? Giant, giant, hairy Viking dudes with scary teeth. <laughs> yes, and yep. uh, 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 maids in uh, Wimple and such. Uh, <laughs> but, a very strange planet. Uh, so, but he's he's a legend. I mean, at, at, eventually, at some point, there will be the the Pike Medal of Honor in Starfleet. This guy is. I mean, Kirk's a big deal, but Pike is a big deal too. So, right here he is in this scene, and and I and I'm and I can see why. The regular crew would defer to Pike at this. Oh, this is Pike. He's going to go and save the day. He's going to get on the shuttle. He's the best. We're not we're going to defer to him. But Tyler is sort of he's not really Starfleet anymore. He doesn't know what he is. And Mm. and he's willing to kind of call, you know, call him on it, which I I thought was an interesting dynamic in that. He Um, was sort of never really Starfleet. Well, yes. I mean, and and objectively speaking, (laughs) never Starfleet in, in, in one sense. In fact, when he when Tyler complains to Pike, you know, hey, you know, because Pike talks about his shadow. He's like, look, I can't get rid of this shadow. And Pike says, I know the feeling, meaning I can't get rid of you. either." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good moment. Uh, so so then we we uh, that's where we go to the uh, the open and I come back to uh, act one of the of the show the, after the open. And we're at Vulcan and it's raining on Vulcan. It's it a thunderstorm. It's like, yay, we get to see something other than stereotypical weather on a planet. You know, right. normally it's like every planet has one climate zone and one form of weather, and that's all we ever see. Exactly. And, and they've previously established Vulcan as a largely desert planet. And so seeing a thunderstorm on Vulcan is great. It's like, yes, it does rain in the desert. Even out here in California, in Death Valley, it rains. Yep. And that's what causes the sailing stones to sail. Exactly. Yep. So uh, and then there's the plants. I just I love the this, the production design of Vulcan in this. Uh, it was really kind of neat. Um, it, it, mm-hmm. it had a real interesting, cohesive feel to the to the culture. I mean, Vulcan is one of the, the cool cultures, species of Star Trek. We really should develop it more than it yeah. ever has been. Uh, more than just I, logic and not emotion and blowing it up, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. You don't you don't step on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't take the mask off the Lone Ranger and you don't blow up Vulcan. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, exactly. J.J. Abrams <laughs> fix that. Um, so uh, Burnham shows up. She comes home. She sees Amanda uh, there. They're, Amanda doesn't doesn't trust uh, Burnham. And Ooh, she is mad. She is. She's still mad at her from the last time they saw each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's she, she says she's that, lying to her. Right. And she yeah. says that uh, Sarek has been practicing something called Tokmar, 
ever since Spock disappeared, which is an ancient Vulcan discipline that's believed to bring lost souls back home. Um, probably usually through like Vulcan telepathic ability, that sort of thing. Um, and it's mm-hmm. not working. And um, Burnham knows that Amanda knows why. She knows that she's lying. Um, and she know and she knows that she knows why. Um, so so then we leave them there and we switch back to Kaminar and um they're going into the time rift and yeah. and they're taking it slow because Tilly warns them they they're going to get time bins if they go too fast. That's right, because mm-hmm. you got to put time in front of it. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's an interesting I, moment, and, and it's nice for them to hang a lantern on that because that is one of the that is one of the cliches of science fiction. You hang space or time or something in front of ordinary Quantum. words, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and and to have to have Tilly say everything sounds cooler when you put time in front of it. Yeah. Is like, okay, that's really meta. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So while they're launching Saru's probe, Pike sees an echo of the future where he and Tyler appear to be having a phaser battle. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so that puts him on watch. That is, is he going to have to take out Tyler? Uh, Does it confirm his bias? It was kind of interesting is just that they put that in there because, you know, with stuff that's going not to get political, but I mean, there have been issues in politics today where, videos and quotes have been taken out of context. Right. And once you see the larger quote, you see that there was actually nothing there, but Oh, there was an uproar when you saw this little clip out of context. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of reminder of, you know, you really should get the bigger context before you react, (laughs) which, which Pike does. He doesn't, he doesn't let this affect him and start making him be paranoid or anything. Exactly. Um, What this reminded me of was Babylon five and specifically Mm -hmm. the episode Babylon squared from the first season where we have the two of the, the two male leads on that show, the, Mm -hmm. the, again, the, the commander and the security guy um, Mm -hmm. on a shuttle traveling into a temporal anomaly to meet a vanished space station and there are slight glimpses of the future out of context that you right. don't know the context for. And so it really it re- reminded me a lot of Babylon Squared. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Sheridan and Garibaldi. Sheridan and Garibaldi. Oh, yep. Been a long time. Or, since no, not, not, no, 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 uh, Sinclair. And Garibaldi. Sinclair. All right. The original captain. Uh, yeah. I just I want to I haven't watched Babylon 5 in so long. I, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. sure I remembered. So the shuttle does get sucked into the time rift and the distortions make time jumbled and therefore normally impossible for discovery to find them but stamets his tardigrade dna which has now become an official uh, um uh, MacGuffin, uh it's become like a yeah it's a, the all-purpose tool for fixing time related things uh it makes him immune to the effects of time distortions and may make him able to track them and then stamets says that beyond the event horizon of the time rift time exists all at once Jimmy, that sounds very interesting and familiar. Yeah, it's not. Well, they they contradict it because they then say it's like a blender, which actually seems to be more like what they experience. They right. don't experience everything all at once. They experience a jumble of things. Right. Was we recently talked about time travel? The 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 uh, idea of time travel on again on mysterious world, mysterious world. And yeah. there was one of the the theories of time is that you know uh, the outside of time there is. Uh, you experience time all at once. That God experiences time all at once. That I—that's mm. how uh, how he sees time all as at once. That's how he knows the future. I—I—I uh, I, I have condensed <laughs> and and you to, condensed yeah. to de- detriment. Uh, <laughs> thank you for not correcting me on that one. Um, so uh, so that's so we kind of leave them in jeopardy here while they're fixing that. And we go back to Vulcan 
so that's what this is essentially how this episode is going to go. We get two places and we're going to jump back and forth. Um, and it turns out that uh, that uh, Burnham has somehow found, and I'm not sure they ever explain how she finds Spock, but she found Amanda told her. Oh, she did. I yeah. She she calls Amanda on it, and then Amanda uh, reveals it to her. That's why the two of them are there together. That's yep. right. They're there together. Right. Because exactly. so, it's, oh, right. Because it's, it's Sarek who walks in on them. So Spock is in this crypt. Um, it's mm-hmm. a Katra crypt where Katras are stored. Go see Star Trek The Search for Spock for more on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they say Katra stones are there. So, yeah. and that's what's blocking telepathic, uh, Sarek's telepathic contact with Spock. Right. By the way, uh, mental real, interference. Real quick before I forget, there there's another link to search for Spock in this. What's that? They they said uh, that Spock's shuttle was found in the Mutara sector. Yeah, which oh. also later became the location of the Genesis planet. Right, yeah. right, right. Which uh, is wondered, where Spock is reborn. Yeah, yep. I wondered if they're if they may go anywhere with that. My suspicion is that it's just a throwaway nod. Yeah, that, that's just a wink, wink to the fans, yeah. probably more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, I mean, that's what, essentially what, I, what this whole season is, is a search for Spock. I mean, the, yeah. in, in about 30 years, they're going to redo all of this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I what I really liked is so Spock is in the temple and he's he's trying to control a mental freak out he's having. And the way he's doing it is by reciting the fundamental laws of logic. And mm-hmm. and it's like this was a real treat for me because my academic training is in philosophy. I mean, I've had courses in both informal yeah. logic and formal logic. And um, and what he's doing, what he's muttering there is real. Right. Um, it's based on real logic and real philosophy of logic. And it's a, it was a lot of fun for me. He's talking about the the difference between inductive and deductive arguments, and he's wrestling in his mutterings with the problem of induction, which is a classic problem in philosophy. An inductive argument is where you say, OK, well, this swan was white and that swan was white and every other swan I've seen is white. So that supports the conclusion that all swans are white, but it mm-hmm. doesn't prove it because there could be a black swan out there. Right. And right. so inductive arguments never give you conclusive proof the way deductive arguments do. Right. And there's a, like a famous uh, problem. There's a philosophy, 20th century philosopher named uh, Goodman who posed a problem of the Gru emeralds. And uh, the idea is, uh, you know, we see emeralds as green. But maybe they really, instead of having the property of being green, they have the property of being grew, which is being green up to a certain point in time and then all changing to become blue. And the evidence for emerald, the inductive evidence for emeralds being green is identical to the evidence for emeralds being grew. And right. so I was just waiting for Spock to mention the Gru emeralds. I was waiting for can, him to mention. Never produce, you yeah. can never prove a negative. Right. Because you can come up with all the cases in the world of why this doesn't happen. But all you have to find is one case where it does mm-hmm. happen. Uh, I was yeah. waiting for him to mention T. Plana Hoth, uh, which is uh, yeah. if you remember from uh, Voyage Home, when he's being tested after his Katra is reunited to his body, uh, the, uh, the the he's got the the uh, testing dome and he's asked like all these questions of logic and science all at once. And uh, I always remember the name. I don't remember what the question was. I remember the name uh, to Tipl- Tipl- Hoth. 
as well as the answer. So in case I ever get asked that in a Vulcan uh, SAP, I'm ready. <laughs> this is this. I, I, I missed something real quick. That's the scene from Star Trek of the voyage home. That's from the voyage home at the beginning yeah. of it. When Spock's my being favorite, tested. my favorite thing from that is name. It's named so-and-so's first law of metaphysics. And the answer is nothing that is unreal exists. And it's yeah. like, yep, that's a good candidate for a first law of metaphysics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So another um, moment, actually, in this scene is uh, another reference, again, to Wrath of Khan's search for Spock, which is um, Amanda says she didn't tell Sarek that Spock is there because he would weigh the needs of the many and doesn't finish her sentence, which is against the needs of the few of the one, which was what Spock says, you know, when he dies on the. Spoilers when he dies on board the Enterprise and I'm glad someone on this show is weighing the needs of the many and the needs of the few because we've pointed out in recent episodes mm, there yeah. has not been enough weighing of the needs of the many versus the needs of the few lately. Right. Well, Section 31 apparently is, although I think in some cases they might be weighing the needs of the single one myself, uh, but looking like we're weighing the needs of the many. <laughs> I think that might be uh, in part of what they're doing. But yes, I agree. I'm glad Sarek is is there to weigh the needs of the many. Um, so in, in addition to reciting these logic mantras, the doctrines over and over again, he's writing a series of numbers on the wall. He's scratching them into the wall. Uh, eight, four, one, nine, four, seven. And um, which I have just have to be mysterious for some reason. Right. Well, you have to punch it into the computer every 102 minutes. Um, to prevent mm-hmm. the island from exploding. Uh, oh, wait, that's <laughs> OK. That's the lo- uh, I'm sorry, that's lost. Uh, but uh, so uh, we'll find out later on that. Um, well, in fact, we found her here. Amanda tells Sarek that she used to read Alice in Wonderland to Spock. We saw that in a couple of earlier episodes, her reading it to uh, Michael uh, as a boy because he had difficulty learning because he inherited from his human nature, something that he inherited from Amanda, mm-hmm. um, dyslexia. Spock is yeah. dyslexic. I thought, well, wow. They, they, they say spatial and it's a, okay, so the Vulcan term for what he's got yeah. is Latak Tarias. Yes. And and they explain that as spatial and order dysphagia, similar to dyslexia, common on Earth, but not on Vulcan. That's why he they know he inherited it from Amanda. Right. And I really like the fact that Spock had this learning disability, and that's what part of alienate, part of what alienated him from other Vulcans. Um, and nevertheless he's considered really smart yes yeah and so there's a kind of tension that the viewer might wonder about how could someone who's supposed to be really smart have a learning disability well i do yes um i am dyslexic and Mm. when i was a kid i did not start reading the way other kids did it was harder for me and this was the early 70s and they put me on a special pre-computer machine to help me learn to read and by the time I was in fifth grade, I was reading on an eighth grade level. But sure. early on, you know, and I still have the effects of it, but early early on, I had a learning disability, but people generally seem to think I'm pretty bright. And so that rang true for me with Spock. It also mm. didn't hurt that Mr. Spock was my role model when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, it's great for kids who have learning disabilities to see someone like Spock, you know, that he's brilliant and overco- overcame his disability. What are you, you going to say, Father Corey? The, the thing, thing I see, though, is, and I don't believe, I don't think this, but I, I can see some fans definitely saying, okay, really, th- this is just going way too far. First of all, you made our favorite character from the original series insane. <laughs> yeah. And then Not like now he he's also got insane. a learning disability. I mean, 
really? Can you can you quit this already? Can you quit beating up our favorite character? Uh, you know, I could see some fans saying that. I mean, that, that, I'm, that, again, yeah. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'm yeah, just I can hear some fans already screaming, "Leave Spock alone!" Are you just going to kill him off next and you know forget yeah. anything happened after that? You know, <laughs> uh, I I have to say, I, I mean, there there's there is a little merit to that, which is. You know, we the, I, the, I'm afraid of like there. We have the one character from our favorite series that that started it all. That's in this in this series, and they just keep using him as a tool to up the the drama. And mm-hmm. uh, so far, he hasn't been in and of himself. He's been a MacGuffin. He hasn't been in and of himself important. He hasn't done really anything yet, and that right. that does bu- bug me a little bit. Uh, and I so I agree with that part a little bit. At least they're making progress with this plot line. They didn't wait until the final two or three episodes to yeah. finally show Spock but, on screen. But they, so we, they did wait to the like the midpoint of the series. <laughs> yeah, almost literally. If if I was that's a reasonable choice for writers. I mean, you want you don't want them to be found immediately, but you also don't want it to go on for too long. And it's kind of yeah. a judgment call about right. exactly when do you I think one thing that'll happen is um in binge watching this in the future, I noticed there are certain series is that are better binged than than doing it week to week. Yeah, I actually think The Good Place is an example of that. In the current season mm-hmm. of The Good Place, watching it week to week, it was there were a few weeks where they were in a particular story arc I thought was a little slow. But then when I watched it in binge form with a friend, it's like, oh, we saw this in two hours. It was fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's an interesting change in how TV is created and and yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so Sarek wants Burnham to bring Spock to Leland because he says Section 31 is motivated to heal Spock in order to get the information he has about the Red Angel, which is unusually naive of Sarek, I think. Um, and- yeah. On the other hand, he's I love his bit about I don't it's it, you're going to destroy Spock and you're going to destroy yourself, Michael, if you don't right. do something. Yes. Again. And, and he's <laughs> and he's right. You know, right. and it, I love his I refuse to lose both of my children on the same day. And he gets visibly emotional there. Yeah. Which is means it's a, that's a big deal. Well, and it's it was interesting too. he contrast him with Amanda in this scene, because as you know, of course, as he's walking in, she says, you know, that as the the wife of the ambassador, I have the legal authority to, you know, keep Spock from you. And of course, he walks in and says, "Unless the ambassador disagrees." <laughs> yeah. But then she turns around and you know, and he, he's he's quoting his authority on her, and says, "Well, I don't live under your authority. I'm your wife, uh, Amanda. You just quoted his authority. <laughs> yeah, you do." You on know, this but, point, but, you but do. it's interesting it, though. It is interesting though because you see Sarek as the example of the logic, you know, the the Vulcan logical mind, and Amanda as the illogical, emotional human, right. And there's a, I, I, I like that contrast between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, I, I liked and and he's right. I mean, he is he, he she has no ability to invoke diplomatic immunity without his consent. Right. So yep. on that, she she does have to depend on his authority. That's the source of her authority for diplomatic immunity is his status as ambassador. Right. Um, but what I love is see, watching a Vulcan spousal you know, argument. Exactly. (laughs) We haven't seen this before. This is cool. Um, And, and I, and I like how both of them, you know, have valid points of view and they're going at each other and they're not screaming because that's not the Vulcan way. 
but that's the equivalent of what we're seeing here. Yeah, right. what, you, what you see it from Sarek was, was literally him yelling, at least again, as Vulcans <laughs> would do. Well, it, it would be like a, a human married to a Klingon. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that level of, can you imagine having a Klingon woman coming at you like that? Emo- that much emotion Amanda was showing was equivalent to a Klingon woman showing emotion to her, her human yeah. husband. <laughs> Exactly. Which, uh, so Belana Torres is dad. I mean, I could kind of, you know, uh, feel some sympathy yeah. for him. <laughs> I mean, he he made that bet, but you know. <laughs> so uh, so we're we're back to uh, so uh, so by, Burnham by is going way, to bring we, Spock back to uh, Section Thirty One. That's that's how yeah. we end that. By the way, we didn't before we close that out. We didn't mention that how Amanda found Spock because the previous thing oh, we've right. seen with her is I'm going to go find him. And um, and it turns out he came to her. Yeah, so they yeah. just mentioned that in a line of dialogue. Spock came to her because he's locked in a logic loop and he clearly needs to be rebooted. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, so we, we we jump back to the shuttle uh, over Kaminar in the time rift um, and Tyler and Pike are in the shuttle. And oh, the, the probe comes back, but it's had an upgrade. <laughs> It's, it's a mechanical ooh. squid now. Yes, it's it, now got it's Windows not, 10. It's now Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we got a Windows 10 upgrade. Uh, so, <laughs> so it uh, has a bunch of octopus arms and it's attacking the shuttle. And meanwhile, Tyler accuses Pike of wanting to make up for missing the war by proving himself through putting himself in a dangerous near suicidal situation, uh, which is, you know, not necessarily wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and so and, but we don't we don't really advance much more beyond that that little battle there, uh, you know, it, it, before we have the act three, we have the third part of the of the uh, the show. And we we jump back to Burnham showing up with um, Spock to the Section 31 ships, more of these uh, these um, cool. I got to say they're cool looking little uh, uh, starships that Section 31 has. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's more Babylon five echoes because these are like the black Omega Omega Psychor Raiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so and section 31 yeah. really feels like Psychor from Babylon five in the, in this series. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Including their outfits and everything with the, yeah, the all, leather jackets and things like that. Uh, although the special uh, insignia uh, on the original section 31 and deep space nine, they were already in black with the black insignia. So, mm-hmm. uh, but even then people said DS nine was a rip off of Babylon five. So <laughs> that's not really yeah. much of an argument. Uh, she, Leland comes across as helpful and sympathetic to Spock and Burnham, which immediately mm-hmm. sets off your warning signs that this is something mm-hmm. something underhanded is going on because this is Section Thirty One, and we know that they're underhanded. Um, and then he says, "We'll we'll take care of Spock. He's in good hands, but uh, you're not allowed to stay on board the ship. You should go rest on Starbase Twenty Three. Like seriously, Get out. just, just <laughs> lock me in a lock me in a room. You know, what I mean? like you know, like I can't even be on the ship. Uh, that's very suspicious." Um, and to confirm her suspicions, Giorgio comes out of the shadows and says, "Guess what? He's <laughs> yeah. lying to you." Right. And so far in this season, Giorgio has never lied to Burnham. And she Correct. said she came around and said that last and, time, and it's true. She's she has not yet lied and to she her. She was she was even bluntly honest about you know Leland's just doing his job. He he's a soldier. He does what he's what he needs to do. He's a stooge for the higher ups. I'm in this for myself. Right. This Mm -hmm. works out for me. You get Spock out. You're good to go. You get Spock out. I get a benefit, too. Right. She gets the uh, one up on uh, on Leland and and get more powerful in Section 31. Yeah. 
So she tells Michael that the machine that Leland said is going to repair Spock's neural pathways is actually a memory extractor that will destroy his mind. And Which um, sounds a lot I, like the memory sifter of the mirror universe, doesn't it? Mm hmm. When, yeah, when they, we've seen we've seen similar technologies. Yeah. You know, uh, Romulans have something like that in the Deep Space Nine era. Right. And however, and I so, wonder yeah. if uh, Giorgio had a hand in making this one. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, at a minimum, she would know what it is then just yeah. because it, she's used them. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, by the way, I love a bit of a, bit, a little bit of dialogue business that um, uh, that Giorgio and Michael have where Giorgio is like, oh, you manipulated your mother. I so wish I had the chance to do that to mine. If only she'd lived longer. <laughs> and, and Michael says, asks if she killed her own mother. And she says, I, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, I love Michelle Yeoh in this. I mean, she has just been so great. I just, I think well, she's, fantastic. Well, she, she's been great, great as in the, the dialogue and everything, and of course, the scene where Michael escapes, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. So she's disabled the security cams or the security network for like sixty seconds, and that only. It's going to kick back on in a few seconds. And yep. so she tells her, you need to attack me now. And Michael totally does. <laughs> no, no hesitation. <laughs> no <laughs> so hesitation. You yeah. <laughs> Make it look good. Okay. Wham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although, I'm sorry. My, uh, uh, the act I forget. I can't remember the actress's name who plays uh, Michael. But taking out, we've said this before, taking out Sunique Michelle Yeoh. Martin Green. Yeah. I don't, I don't know by it. Michelle Yeoh is the best. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but it was an impressive, it was an impressively choreographed scene. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was a well done fight scene. Yes, I have to. Agree. I also, I also love during part of the escape. You know, they they switch to using phasers, and uh, and uh, uh, Giorgio shoots at Michael and misses, but right. comes just really close. And Michael kind of looks back at her, her like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" And she just shrugs. Giorgio just shrugs. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's she, like I have to make this look good. Exactly. <laughs> she kind of grazes her her shirt, you know, a little bit, and it's yeah. like, "What's going? Yeah, what are you doing?" <laughs> So, uh, so, and then she escapes with Spock, and then meanwhile, back at Discovery, um, in the the shuttle, Stamets realizes that he needs to be the one to transport the shuttle to flight out. Uh, to jump back a little bit, I did, I forgot to mention, Pike mm -hmm. came up with this idea of dumping fuel and igniting it every once in a while as sort of a flare to alert Discovery <laughs> to where they are, uh, to help them find them, uh, which is what Stamets eventually and, and Tilly eventually use. So, Pike now realizes that the probe. That's now been upgraded. Has traveled 500 years into the future and was modified. <laughs> nice modification. One of the probe arms gets inside and attacks Tyler, and that's what Pike had seen earlier. That he thought yep. he was in a battle with 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 Tyler. It turned out he was about to shoot the probe uh, that had Tyler in its grip. And it was, well, it was right. interesting too, where Tyler switches over to Klingon when he's at that moment. He's right. speaking Klingon. That's it's, right, and under stress. And yep. and because of the decontextualization of the original vision, you don't realize it's not Pike attacking Tyler. It's Pike helping Tyler. Exactly. Right. Just like in Babylon 5, the <laughs> flash forward of Jakar strangling Londo is not Jakar trying to hurt Londo. It's Jakar trying to save Londo. Yep. Right. So By killing him, admittedly. Right. And again, this is this is where, you know, anything like this, you know, you got to have the context. You got to have the wider understanding of what's going on exactly and so the 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 severed uh probe arm then it embeds itself in the control console where it starts to suck up all the data in the uh in the computer and uh meanwhile stamets beams over from discovery <laughs> into the time rift 
because uh be, because be, plot because plot um because he's the only <laughs> one who can do who can navigate through it um to get them free of the anomaly but the probe starts to pull them back in every time i get out they start pulling me back in as the godfather says <laughs> and uh, they are beamed out of the shuttle as it self-destructs but the uh but then the cyborg crew member whose name i can never remember commander arium arium thank you uh, i will eventually remember uh, she gets a, a virus from the probe embedded in her, which is the danger. Yeah. Of. And so Ooh. now we have. Is is the first Android member of Starfleet not uh, Data she's, or she's, she's, a she's, cyborg. Not, she's not Android? She's she's I think they've they they're implying that she's part. Biological. Biological. She's a cyborg. Yeah. She's 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 she's, she's a, a transhuman of whatever species she's originally part of. <laughs> I wonder if she's like a proto uh, uh, Borg. Hmm. Interesting. So and so now that the shuttle has exploded, it has destabilized the time rift, and it's going to create a time tsunami because you know, yeah, <laughs> which is uh, it really is. Yeah. So they yeah. jump ahead just ahead of it and save themselves from the d- disaster of getting caught in a time tsunami. Um, what about Kaminar? Yeah, that was my thought too. <laughs> so what happened to the planet? Does this affect the planet at all? Yeah, Saru uh, seems uh, unconcerned. So maybe, you know, maybe he knows that we don't. Maybe we'll get some time ripples on Kaminar. And, That'll be about it. And yeah. there are ways they could finesse that. But the point is they don't. Right. They, and it, they don't finesse it. It's a, it's a plot it, hole that they've left hanging. Yeah. A, a, Speaking a of plot, plot holes they've left hanging, <laughs> we have we have this V'ger problem here of, you know, yes. if you get a technologically inferior probe, what's going to be your first impulse? Upgrade it. Upgrade it and send it back <laughs> or just send one of your own technologically superior probes in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and and that's that just not plausible. Well, the, at least this, it, it ha- keeps happening in Star Trek. Well, at least in the motion picture, the 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 technological creatures that V'ger encounters view it as a life form and therefore upgrade it. So there's that at least has an explanation. This doesn't this doesn't have that. This is like uh, what was the one from the original series, uh, Nomad. This is yeah, more like the changeling. that. The Changeling, right? So uh, the, that's the thing I don't get is is why do they assume that this probe comes from the the Red Angels? You know uh, mm-hmm. that and that their motives might actually be dangerous. Well, Could there not be other people in the future? Exactly. Yes, I was just going to go there because um, so not only do does this probe come back uh, for no good reason, and if why is it sucking the data on the computer? Wouldn't I mean, what is what is a shuttle going to have right. that wasn't in the data banks of the probe? Right. You, know, you already know everything that's in the data banks of the probe. What what are you getting out of this? What are they looking um, for? Right. Well, yeah. and, and the fact and, if you're 500 and, years and, in the future, wouldn't they have all the data that would already be there just from being 500 years in the future? In assuming data, there was like a massive yeah data loss somewhere. But, yeah. But th- you're right, Dom. I mean, just like in the beginning, they're assuming things are from the future just because they're assuming here that the uh, that the probe has the same motives as the Red Angel. And it's not a rival faction, which would be the obvious dramatic solution here. Right. Um, for why the Red Angel seems to do good, but the probe seems to attack. Right. Right. So which which brought up the question for me, are we going to see and probably not, but are we going to see a resurgence of the temporal Cold War from Enterprise? 
I've been worried about that, and I hope I really hope not because that was the worst thing about Enterprise. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, that's what that's what hurt Enterprise, in my opinion. But yeah, we may get a temporal cold or hot war, but I don't think it's going to be the same one. That would be preferable. So also with all this 500 years in the future business, now we may be linking up to the short trek Calypso, where we saw the discovery Mm -hmm. a thousand years in the future. That's a very good point. It's interesting. Um. So Pike admits that Tyler was right about his motivations, that he was had missed the war and was trying to seek glory, which doesn't make any sense, really, because Pike just like, again, like I said before, Pike is already a legend. So why is why is he that may be why he may feel like I've had a really good reputation up to now and then I had to sit this thing out. And it's I mean, there was something that drove him psychologically to become a legend. I guess. And yeah. and so it's kind of like, OK, then I'm sidelined for this thing. It's like I didn't get to do what I could do. <laughs> right. That's, that's exactly. possible, I guess. And then meanwhile, Tyler admits that Pike was right because he was the most qualified for the mission and, you know, the best pilot, etc. So uh, love yeah. fest all around. Um, uh, Giorgio, meanwhile, Kumbaya. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, Kumbaya, yeah. Uh, Giorgio, meanwhile, <clears throat> back in the uh, Section 31 ship, tells Leland uh, basically. Because Leland thinks Giorgio let Spock and uh, and Burnham escape, and which she, she did, which she did, and then so she, did, in order to keep him from calling her out, she says, "By the way, I know uh, your secret that you're responsible for the death of Burnham's parents because, of course, <laughs> dramatically, of course." And, and I mean, of course, I was gonna say in the background, you hear that dramatic music, bum bum bum, <laughs> yeah, because <Yeah. laughs> everybody's connected. Um, yep. So and then so Burnham is uh, got. Spock, she realizes that the numbers that Spock's repeating are backwards because he's dyslexic. Okay, so here's an issue. <laughs> yes. um, you can Google almost any number and it exactly. and you will come up with a web page, frequently on Wikipedia, but you will come up with a web page that has all kinds of interesting facts about this number. And you can Google really big numbers and that'll happen for them. And so here we have a six-digit number only six digits right it's in the millions amanda has googled has time googled this thing (laughs) yeah and and come up with nothing which is implausible in and of itself you could google it today and you would find stuff oh yeah um but i find find lots of houses for sale if you search for (laughs) eight four one nine four seven you can find some houses yeah but with all of their fancy computer technology in the 23rd century for some reason, you don't get, oh, and if you write this number backwards, it's the coordinates of a forbidden planet. Well, that right. would be interesting. Which, <laughs> right. which, by the way, this supercomputer that could find the fact that this is the coordinates of a planet, at no point does it say, warning, you are inv- going to this planet will violate General Order 7. Do not yeah. go. Are you sure you want to do this? Well, to be fair, maybe General Order 7 is not yet in effect, but... You know, after the first time, it was like, OK, nobody go there. After the second time they go, maybe that's when they say, OK, really, now we need a general order pain of death situation. Possibly. Because frankly, Possibly. after the first after the first time they went, let's be honest, when we talked about the cage, though they were powerful aliens. But are they that much more powerful than all the other aliens they've encountered, uh, especially given the understanding that they kind of came to at the end of that episode? It was, you know what I mean? So there wasn't, yeah. you, you could, you could retcon an, the idea that really what happened at the end of the cage was not enough to really have the pain of death. 
uh, to go back. Well, and, and if I'm not mistaken, though, it, uh, General Order 7 has not been established as having the death penalty. General Order 4 right. has. What was, um, well, it was General Order 4. And, and we're not actually given a clear understanding of what General Order 4 is. Okay. Um, but um, I... But still, it's it's very serious. Do not approach this planet under any circumstances. And actually, that would have been I mean, they're they're kind of relying on the audience here to know what Talos four is. Oh, yeah. And and if it actually I think would have been better both for the fans and for new people who don't know what Talos four is to give mm-hmm. them a little bit more. And instead of just having Michael say, go to this planet that you've never heard of new new viewer, right. um, have have Michael say, you know, go to this planet you've never heard of. And then the computer say it is forbidden to approach Talos for under any circumstances. Yep. And that right. would at least tell the the new viewer something about Talos for that ups the drama about it. And I'm, I'm sure obviously looking at the the, the previous, teasers for the next yeah. episode, we'll we, they'll probably go into that. Well, and to go bit, back to your sure. point about uh, shows you, that are binged, you know, if you're binging this, you'd get that. In about five seconds, and after you know, you get five seconds into the credits, and it switches over to the next episode. So yeah, right. uh, this, th- that might be at play here. But you're right. I mean, it wouldn't have taken much to just have the warning come up on the even computer. just to have you know where the computer didn't say anything, even if there's just like a red warning sign at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah. You know, just that simple little banner saying warning. Right. And left not it at that. So it's it, and and I have to say, looking at the previews, I'm kind of excited about. Telosians and mm-hmm. like the possibilities. I mean, yeah. there's great potential and great potential disaster, but it, I'm kind of excited about the possibilities. Yeah, next, epi- next episode yeah. looks interesting. Yeah. So um, any other points uh, that we didn't cover that you'd like to bring up uh, here? Father Corey. Just one, one minor thing. Uh, when uh, Pike switched control of the shuttle over to T- Tyler, he asked if he has any stick time. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, that that's an old, pilot's term for oh, actually yeah. flying the plane but of course which it is interesting because what do the, the shuttles sh- at that time have they don't have sticks they it's don't all have yeah. touch control yep um jimmy anything nope i'm good all right so before we uh we finish out here i do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible to create the secrets of star trek for everyone uh today we're going to thank by name uh christopher k janelin m Angie T, John H, and Mark S. It's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that they make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek uh, and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode, Light and Shadows? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can find uh, any links relevant to our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing those Telosians in the next episode titled If Memory Serves. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Live long and prosper, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, trust the math.